Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm delighted this morning to be joined by Jorge Martí, the Secretariat of Hands Off Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge. Yes, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Um, I'd like to focus our discussion today perhaps on how you know, the increasing level of pandemics, the increasing level of you know, dire climate changes is forcing us not only to pay attention to what happens in our own backyard, but also to the social movements that are charging despite the, the aggression and violence they face. Yes, in reality, uh, I will say that even before the pandemic started, what we were witnessing in many parts of the world was the beginning of a new revolutionary wave. We had one 10 years ago in 2011 when we saw the uprisings in the Arab countries, the overthrow of uh, the regimes in Tunisia, in Egypt, the mass movements in Spain with the Indignados, the Occupy movement in the United States, the Syntagma Square in Greece. Uh, and that, for different reasons, died down. It took different expressions. And now, uh, just before the pandemic, at the end of 2019, uh, we saw the beginning of a new wave, what I think is a new wave of revolutionary movements, so mass revolutionary movements in Algeria, uh, in Sudan, in Iraq, in uh, Lebanon. Uh, and then in, in the American continent, we saw, obviously, the mass uh, uprisings in uh, Haiti, which is not not uh, doesn't usually feature in the in the news, and then the uprisings in Ecuador and Chile in October 2019 uprisings, which were had a revolutionary character. Really, these these were not just movements against this one uh, government measure or that other government measure. It was a movement against the whole regime. Uh, in, in Chile, people were saying this is not about 30 pesos, which was the increase in the, in the Santiago uh, underground transportation system uh, fares, which uh, sparked the movement. The, the people were saying this is not about 30 pesos, it's about 30 years, i.e. 30 years of what is known as neoliberal capitalist policies of an, an assault on the working class and its living standards. Uh, and so we saw that. That, that was happening before the pandemic. Now, when the pandemic uh, struck uh, a year ago, or now, now maybe 15 months ago, the, these movements were paused. They, they came to a hiatus, perhaps. And uh, obviously, this was a big shock for, for millions of people. There were measures of social distancing, measures of uh, quarantine. People couldn't go to work. They had to stay home. And this obviously had an impact of, uh, of producing a break in this movement that was on the on the ascent. But then, obviously, even even during the COVID pandemic, there were movements. There were big movements, like in the United States. We saw the Black Lives Matter just one year ago, uh, which involved millions of people. The biggest uh, mass movement in the United States for decades, really. Uh, some people say it was even bigger in terms of numbers than the civil rights movement in the 1960s. 
And then we saw in a number of Latin American countries also big movements, like for instance, in September 2019, we saw a big movement in Colombia, also against police brutality. There was police killing of a young uh, worker, and this led to massive protests, in, particularly in Bogota, but also in other cities. More than 40 police stations were burned down by the protesters. Then we saw the big, big protests in uh, Guatemala in November 2020. And, uh, and this was uh, against the budget of cuts and austerity. And uh, the protesters were so angry, they set fire to the government uh, building, to the Congress building, where, where the deputies had been meeting to pass this, this budgetary law. Then in the same month of November, there was massive protest against corruption of the government in uh, Peru. And then uh, later on in March this year, 2021, we saw a massive uprising in Paraguay, which was driven directly by the impact of COVID. Uh, hundreds of people were being infected. The hospitals had no supplies. The relatives of people who were falling ill had to pay for their treatment, had to pay for oxygen. And uh, Paraguay was being overrun by this COVID pandemic. And there was a mass protest movement. People came out on the streets to protest against the government. The government used heavy repression and the people fought back. And at, at one point, police officers had to wave the, the white flag of surrender. And there were like two weeks of mass protest and, and mobilizations, which were not no longer just about the question of COVID, but uh, it was about the question of government corruption, government repression, and against generally the, the rule of the Colorado party, a party which is direct inheritor of the, of the Stroessner dictatorship. And then uh, we now see the movement in Colombia, which is a, an incredible movement. Colombia is a country uh, where there are regular killings of mass movement, social movement leaders, trade unionists, indigenous leaders, peasant leaders, where since the peace agreement between the government and the guerrillas, about uh, 200 former guerrilla members have been killed in paramilitary attacks where the oligarchy is very closely linked with the paramilitary gangs, which are really brutal. Uh, and the paramilitary gangs are in turn linked to narco-trafficking. It's a really violent ruling class, and it's a place where it's very dangerous to be a social movement activist, to fight for, for a better world, to fight for your rights, it can lead directly to, to this person being killed. And, and we have seen the emergence of a mass movement, which is called the Paro Nacional, the National Stoppage or National Strike, has been going on since the since April the 28th, and I think that that's incredible. I mean, if you were asked, you were to ask me two years ago or a year ago, which is the country in Latin America where it's most unlikely to see a mass movement, a mass uprising, I would have probably said said Colombia. It's difficult to see a movement like that in Colombia, and now and now Colombia is at the forefront of the whole of, uh, of Latin America. It's part of the same process. In fact, what happened is that uh, President Duque had spent a lot of money. Uh, capitalists everywhere have spent a lot of money to try to save the capitalist economy in the face of the pandemic. Uh, and so the same thing had happened in Colombia. And then after a few months, this led to massive fiscal deficit. 9%, 8, 8%, 9% of GDP is the fiscal deficit for 2020 in Colombia. 
And so the government decided to make the workers and the middle class, the middle layers, pay for it. And so introduced a tax reform, increasing VAT and, and a whole number of other taxes that mainly mainly hitting the poor and the working class. And the people said, well, that's enough. Enough is enough. They came out on the streets on the 28th. They remain on the streets to this day. So it's more than a month now. We are on the on the 2nd of June today. But uh, they've been on the streets for nearly six weeks. Uh, which is incredible. And they've been subject to everything, to brutal police repression. Over over 60 people have been killed by the actions of the police. Uh, the government has, at certain points, militarized whole cities. For instance, Cali, which is uh, a very large uh, city, very populated city, which is the epicenter of the movement. Uh, there have been instances of civilians uh, under the protection of the of the security forces, shooting at demonstrators, i.e. paramilitary gangs, people have been disappeared. Uh, women protesters have been subject to sexual assault by the police officers. All this is documented by NGOs and human rights organizations. The the movement has also had to face the the criminalization by the by the mass media. The the, the, the government is saying that this movement is is not a genuine movement. Is a movement of criminal elements linked to the guerrillas. Never mind the fact that the guerrillas have played no role in this, and the main guerrillas are now, now no longer existing. But the government is still using the same song, the same allegations, in order to try to drive a wedge between the protesters and the mass of the population. But they failed completely. President Duque is now the most unpopular president in uh, Colombian history with a disapproval rate of 76%. Uh, and so, I mean, the resilience of the people in Colombia is really extraordinary. And this is a movement against the regime. It's not just a movement against the tax reform. The tax reform has been withdrawn. The movement achieved a victory, partial victory. But now they want more. They, they managed to also uh, repeal or, or, sorry, reverse the proposed uh, Counter reform of the health, counter reform of the health system, uh, but they want basically want uh, Duque to go and, and completely new government. So that is very interesting. And uh, more recently, even uh, at the weekend, we saw on the 29th, Saturday, 29 May, May the 29th, we saw mass protests in Brazil, which is one of the countries that has been hardest hit by the pandemic in uh, Latin America. And uh, largely responsible for this is the completely irresponsible and criminal policy of President Bolsonaro, who is now extremely unpopular. And there were hundreds of thousands on the streets despite the pandemic. I mean, people in Colombia say when the masses are on the streets in the middle of the pandemic is because they consider the government more dangerous than the pandemic itself. And people are dying. Lots of thousands of people every day are dying in, in Brazil alone. Uh, but nevertheless, people have to have no other alternative in order to defend their life in this case uh, and their living standards. They have to go out and have no other option than to come out on the streets and protest. And we have seen similar anger expressing itself through elections in uh, Chile, where independence not linked to any party gained the majority in the constitutional convention elections. And now the elections coming up in Peru this uh, weekend, where it's likely that the left-wing candidate, Pedro Castillo, can, m might win the presidential second round of presidential election. 
So this is what we are witnessing, a worldwide movement against capitalism, I will say, against the impact of capitalism on healthcare, on education, on, uh, on living standards. And people are starting to say enough. And the youth, I would say, is at the forefront of this movement. What's happening in Latin America is not just in one country or another country. It's a more general process and it's part of a worldwide movement, I will say. Uh, the struggle of the Palestinians in the last few weeks was also led by the youth, inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, using methods of mass struggle, general strikes. I think this is, the, this is the way forward and this is the conclusion that more and more people, working class people, young people, women and so on, are, are drawing around the world. So in, in many ways, I think uh, people have realized that it's not the virus that will kill us. You know, hunger will definitely kill us before the virus gets to us. So at some point, we all reach a, a tipping point. And it, it seems like worldwide we are there right now. Can we talk a little bit about how this um, mismanagement, not only, it's not a mismanagement, but it's an overt abuse of power in Brazil, has led to the mass movement and key to this, I think, is not just the repression but used by the government to prevent all the social movements, but how people have fought against and are now mobilizing to invent, create, imagine a different way forward. This is very closely linked to everything that's happening now. For instance, you take Peru and uh, Pedro Castillo, the trade union leader who is now standing in the second round of the elections. He might win the election. It's not, not clear. Uh, he, he's facing an uphill struggle, uh, obviously, but uh, his main slogan is no more poor people in a rich country. And what does he mean? He means that uh, Peru, for one reason or another, is a country that's uh, rich in natural resources, is rich in mining uh, resources. But these mining resources have been uh, extracted by foreign multinationals, and therefore this wealth doesn't benefit at all the, the majority of the population in, in Peru other than a very small minority. The main plank of his uh, election platform has been precisely to renegotiate the contracts with the uh, foreign uh, mining multinationals so that they benefit mainly uh, the Peruvian people. And if they refuse to renegotiate, to, to nationalize them. So this is, uh, goes to the crux of the matter. This is what decolonization really means, you know, the expropriation of the multinationals which are expoliating, have continued to expoliate these, these countries for, for decades and, and uh, centuries. Because we have to be clear, in, in the last period, uh, 2020 has been a really bad year from an economic point of view for Latin America. Latin America is the region in the world that has been hardest hit by the economic collapse. And uh, at the same time, the multimillionaires in Latin America have increased their wealth by 40%. And the number of multimillionaires has also increased, mainly concentrated in Mexico and Brazil. So it's not just a struggle, let's put it this way, a struggle between Latin America and, and the imperialist nations. It's a, it's a struggle in which, in each one of these uh, countries, there is an oligarchy, a capitalist oligarchy, which is at the the puppets of imperialism. They play the role of the local office boys of, of imperialism in these countries, and they need to be uh, 
removed from power as well as the, the multinationals. As for Brazil, I think that if we want to understand what's happening now in Brazil, we have to go back to 2013. In 2013, we saw the beginning of a mass movement from a seemingly accidental question, which is the, the increase in the transportation fares in Sao Paulo. And there were big, big demonstrations around that. Then there were demonstrations against the World Cup, uh, football World Cup, and so on. And then uh, the, this movement also revealed the discrediting of all political parties, not only the parties of the right wing, but also the discrediting of the Dilma Rousseff government of the of the Workers' Party. The Dilma Rousseff was uh, re-elected on the basis of carrying out a left-wing policy. But as soon as she was re-elected, she then made a pact with the capitalist uh, parties and started implementing a policy which wasn't left-wing. This then coincided with the economic crisis which hit Latin America around 2013-2014. And uh, this led to a massive discrediting of, uh, of Dilma. And then when she was removed, the parties that removed her, the capitalist parties, which were the same parties, by the way, that were in a coalition with Dilma in the government, Temer, for instance, they were also so discredited that they, they couldn't by any means win the next election. And then the following election was therefore won by Bolsonaro on the basis of complete demagogic campaign where he said, I'm going to deal with the question of insecurity. I'm going to deal with the question of jobs. I'm going to make uh, Brazil great again. We've heard all that before. It's the same, same slogans as Trump used to, to win the election. But very soon, Bolsonaro won the election in 2018. There was a mass movement against him. Three months, I think it was in April, just barely four months after he had been elected, there was already a big movement that started amongst the youth, the university youth, against the cuts in the education budget. Then there was a general strike against the pensions counter-reform. Every time there was a big mobilization, for instance, the general strike, the mass movement of the youth, Bolsonaro tried to mobilize his own base of support, but the numbers were not there. Uh, this uh, enraged, petty bourgeois reactionary elements could not master the numbers on the streets. The, the working class is much stronger in a country like uh, Brazil and had not been defeated decisively in any, in any way. And so you had a situation where, where from the very beginning, his popularity started to collapse. There were mass protests against him. And the slogan of Fora Bolsonaro, which was put forward uh, around uh, April 2018, became extremely popular. And then th this process, as I say, was cut off by the pandemic uh, and the way it hit so hard. Now it's starting to come to the surface uh, again, even, even in the middle of a third, deadly third wave of the, of the pandemic. The government of Bolsonaro is not a strong government. It's a very weak government. It's riddled by all sorts of contradictions. There are at least three different factions within the government, the military faction, the Bolsonaro faction, which involves his own his own close family and, and the more crazy elements of his government. And then the Paulo Guedes uh, faction, which represents the interests of capital, of capitalists. They want to privatize everything. They want to destroy the health service, everything. So these different uh, uh, factions, they are all out against each other. Moro, who was the minister of justice, was forced to resign. The whole farce of the election of the judicial process against Lula has now collapsed. 
Lula has now been released from jail and he's now allowed to stand in the elections again, showing how scandalous the situation was when he was uh, barred from standing because he will have defeated Bolsonaro at that time. So the whole of the Bolsonaro experiment is, is collapsing uh, under, under their own contradictions and under the pressure from the masses. And in the meantime, we have seen these mass mobilizations uh, of hundreds of thousands on, on last Saturday, which, which reveals really the real balance of, of power. The problem, I will say, is that many of the parties in the opposition they want to get rid of Bolsonaro, but they want to get rid of Bolsonaro when the elections come, which is still another year, or through some parliamentary trick, when in reality what is required is a mass mobilization on the streets, a general strike to remove him by force, because you can't, can't wait until, until the general election. Uh, he, he must be, this criminal government must be removed now, otherwise people will continue to die because of his completely criminal and irresponsible handling of the, of the pandemic. But I think Brazil is a good example of the real balance of forces. When, when Bolsonaro was elected, many people were in despair or pessimistic. Uh, already at that time, we pointed out, I mean, this is the result of the discrediting of all the traditional parties, left and right, because if you have a left party that carries out right-wing policies, they're, they're going to be discredited. But even at the time when Bolsonaro was elected, uh, only a third of the electorate voted for him. And there was a similar number that stayed away, that didn't participate in that election, even though voting is compulsory in, in Brazil. There was a massive abstention, massive spoil, number of spoiled ballots. That, that was the real balance of forces. And the, the working class is very strong. The only problem is that not, it doesn't always have uh, the leadership that it deserves, the leadership that can can take the movement to to a successful conclusion. You know, worldwide, we we now see how the pandemic has not only made hunger worse for so many people. You know, millions of people. I, I think the the recent report from the Global Network Against Food Crisis was that 155 million people face acute in food insecurity. Like. That's insane that we would even conceive of a number so high. And that's a jump of 20 million from 2019. So we're, our situation is getting worse by the day. And the longer we um, ascend to governments who tell us that austerity is the way to get our economic system in check, that neoliberalism and more privatization is what's needed, that selling our water is what's needed, that you know cutting our forests is what's needed, <laughs> Um, you know, the more we compromise, not just our own lives, but also the future of future generations. So as we learn from the mass movements of, you know, the, the mass people in Brazil, you know, the landless peasant movements who first made us aware of the urgency of our, the need to not only defeat capitalism, but put something in place that re-enchants the world, that re-allows us to remember who we are. You know, in Latin America, the word remember, recordar, is to awaken. It's not just to, you know, to, to be reminded or to remember your history, but also to awaken. Who are you? What are we? And where is our power? So, um, what have we 
yet to learn? And what, what are the lessons that we must pay attention to in this moment? I, I will say that if, if there is a lesson that you can draw from all of these movements, uh, particularly the movements around uh, the, the Red October in Chile and uh, Ecuador and, and now the, the, the national strike in, in uh, Colombia, is on the one hand that uh, the working class is extremely powerful. The workers, the peasants, the youth, the indigenous people, we are the majority, the overwhelming majority of the society. And once this strength, that this really strong force gets on the move, there's nothing that can stop it. Uh, repression can't stop the mass movement. Uh, that, that's the first one. Uh, the workers can bring the whole society to a standstill uh, through mass strikes, road blockades, and, and through that they can also break down the resistance of the state apparatus, however powerful it might uh, be. That's the first lesson, the, the enormous strength, the working class and the mass movement of the, of the oppressed. The second one, I will say, is that, uh, in, in my opinion, it's not, it's not enough to say that we are against neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is just a particular phase of capitalism in crisis. It's not because otherwise you might get the idea that, okay, we are against neoliberalism. We are for a different type of capitalism. And, and that is just not possible. There is no other type of, of capitalism that is possible in this period of crisis. Maybe in the past, uh, you could have uh, welfare state capitalism, let's put it this way, which didn't solve all the problems, but at least ameliorated some of the, of the living conditions of the market. But now, now that, that's not possible in this, in this period of crisis. And so we need, we need to be clear, in order to defeat neoliberalism, we need to defeat the capitalist system and replace it by a system of democratic control and ownership of the means of production, the economy, for the benefit so, so that we can plan our resources, human, material, minerals, and so on, uh, for the benefit of the majority of the, of the population, not, not for the greed of a small unelected minority. The third lesson that I think we need to learn is that the movement needs to have a leadership that is clear on, on these final aims of the, of the movement. And this leadership needs to be a democratic leadership, one that is accountable through mass assemblies, cabildos abiertos, asambleas populares, whatever name they take in different countries, a leadership that is accountable, that is composed of elected representatives, a leadership that will not betray the movement because before reaching any uh, agreement, it will have to put it uh, to the vote of the, of the mass movement, that the mass movement controls uh, the leadership through democratic uh, channels. And finally, that this leadership, as I say, needs to be a revolutionary leadership, I would say, clear of what is the final aim of this movement. The final aim of the movement should, cannot be just to replace one government for another, but to, to change the whole system upside down and to establish a system of democratic uh, control and ownership of the, of the economy in the benefit of the majority of the population. I would say that's, that's socialism. And you, you were mentioning this question of the environment, the pandemic, and I will say that what uh, Rosa Luxemburg said over 100 years ago, socialism or barbarism is today more relevant than when, when she said it. We we're facing with, a, with an environmental catastrophe. If we, if we do not get rid of a capitalist system, we might not have a planet where to live anymore in, in a few decades. So it's an urgent task. 
Thank you so much for being with us. I think that um, it is clear that it is an untenable future if we continue to dream up this idea that green capitalism will save us. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, however, I also think it's a reality that we are tested and we have demonstrated we are powerful beyond our own you know, uh, previously conceived ideas of how powerful we are. So how can people contact you? How can people learn more about your work? Yes, it's my, my pleasure to be with, with you discussing these questions, which are, are very, certainly very urgent. And uh, I'm involved in the Hands of Venezuela campaign, which is a campaign in solidarity with the Bolivarian Revolution against imperialist intervention in, in meddling in, in Venezuela. And uh, the campaign can be contacted at handsoffvenezuela.org. That's our website. I'm also on the uh, editorial board of In Defense of Marxism. This is the, the website of the International Marxist Tendency. And you can find us at uh, marxist.com, marxist.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com.